Welcome to The Little Sleep Show, a podcast about helping your children and family get the sleep you need. Hosted by Laura Meyercourt. Hello and welcome back to The Little Sleep Show. I'm your host, Laura Meyercourt, and I'm going to talk to you today about sleep for parents and how to get better sleep. But I wanted to begin by talking about kind of what's going on in the world right now because it would be silly to try to avoid it. And also it is really having a big impact on our families, on our kids, and probably on our quality of sleep. Right now in March, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic and it's causing massive disruptions all around the world. And it's having us um, lose jobs, lose income, stay indoors as much as possible, probably work from home for a lot of people who have never done that, or not work at all, in my case. We're home with our kids all day. We're expected to still teach them for several hours a day. So there's a lot of pressure and stress and expectations, not only on us, but also on our children. I think I've touched upon this before, you know, children really thrive on routine and knowing what to expect makes them feel safe. And of course, with all the disruptions that are happening right now in the world, our kids are feeling on edge and we're feeling on edge. Also the added pressure of, you know, being around our kids and maybe our spouse all day, or maybe even our parents, if we have elderly parents that we're caring for. It's, it's a lot and it can cause a pressure cooker kind of situation where we want to explode on people. And I've done my share of yelling this week. You know, I'm not a big yeller. I kind of joke with my husband that I save it for when I really need it so that it makes more of an impact. But I've definitely lost my cool the last few days. It's been, it's been trying. So one of my things I wanted to touch on before I talk about sleep for parents is The importance of giving kids some expectations. You know, transitions with kids are very important. They like to know what's coming and they like to have a little time to prepare. And a lot of kids really need that as a matter of fact. For instance, my son, if we tell him in the moment, it's time to get off your game, he gets very upset. If I tell him 10 minutes before you have 10 minutes, everything goes very smooth. And I know that I've learned that. And so that's what we really try our best to do, give him a transition. So for kids, I just want to encourage you while all this is going on, while it's really tempting to just let everything go and let them stay up super late and play on their screens all night. It's really key for children to have some kind of boundaries. They feel much more safe and secure, even though they might might not like it in the moment it actually gives them a feeling of security. So for instance, our kids, we're not letting them stay up all night. We are, I think on the days when they're doing schoolwork, I think we let them stay up till about nine or 9.30 at the very latest. And that's with like half an hour of time in their beds reading before bed. And then on the weekends, we've been letting them stay up till 10.30 and they're allowed to read in their bed after 10.30, but no more screens. I try to really limit screens to, ideally for me, it would be an hour before bed, but Right now, it's just not that realistic. So we're doing half an hour before bed. And it really does help with kids' quality of sleep. We've seen it in our family. And I'll be doing an episode on screen time later on. But for now, I think this is much more 
pertinent to what's going on. So giving them some boundaries, you know, maybe letting them stay up a little later, but you know, when kids sleep off their biological times, it really throws their whole body off. They're much more sensitive than we are. And we are sensitive to that as well as adults. And I'll get into that in a few minutes. But kids are so sensitive to sleeping off their biological times. You know, we have to be around each other a lot more now. So if you want less tantrums, less whininess, all that stuff that happens when kids are sleeping poorly or not getting enough sleep, I would really recommend trying to keep some sort of a regular schedule for your kids. That doesn't have to be rigid. You know, we might let our kids stay up a little later one night, but for the most part, we're trying to keep them on somewhat of a routine. Do with that what you will, just a suggestion and it it works for us so far. So today I wanted to talk about sleep for parents. And I know, you know, I've been wanting to do this for a while. And I think the timing for this is really good because first of all, we have a little more time to be able to look at some of the things I'm going to talk about today and try to implement some different things. Whereas if you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week, caring for small children, taking care of your house, you're not as able to do some of these things and implement them. So maybe think of this as a time where you can implement some healthy habits. And when things go back to quote unquote normal, whatever that is going to look like, who knows, you'll have some of these healthy habits in place. I think first of all, I want to talk about, you know, a lot of parents come to me and they say, oh, you know, you help kids with sleep. Do you help parents with sleep? And I always tell them, A lot of the same things that I recommend for children apply to adults. And it's very true. I'm going to go over some of the first ones here that you'll see are things that I've definitely talked about in previous podcasts for kids. Sleeping at appropriate times, like I just talked about. I think ideal sleep for adults is probably from around 10 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that seems to be working for me. If I go to bed between 9 and 10, I usually get up between like around 6. Now I've been letting myself sleep in more. I mean, we just don't have any reason to get up and set my alarm. But I can wake up at 6 a.m. on a normal day and feel refreshed if I go to sleep between 9 and 10. And that's an average adult's biological sleep times. So sleeping off the clock, just like your children, will cause disruptions. It will cause you to have lower quality of sleep. And it will cause you to feel not not as rested when you do wake up. Even if you were to get the same amount of sleep, let's say you go to bed at 2 a.m. and get up at 10 a.m., you're going to not feel as rested as if you went to bed at 10, 10 p.m. and got up at 6 a.m. Again, with this disruption to our daily lives, it's really tempting to just, you know, stay up all night, eat lots of junk food, drink lots of caffeine and alcohol, because who cares, right? But you're going to feel it in the quality of sleep and it's going to affect your mood. And I think at this time when we're all so close to each other, you know, we need to do what's best for ourselves and for our children to try to maintain, you know, our health, our emotional, mental and physical health, because that's what's going to keep us able to stay within close close quarters to each other for this amount of time. Trying to keep some regularity, you know, like my husband and I on weeknights, to be honest, we usually go to bed by nine. Our kids are in bed at 830 lights out for on school nights and that works for them. They're 10 and 11 and we still give them early early bedtimes because that is what's age appropriate. And they're growing at that age. They need a lot of sleep. So we usually will be in bed by nine o'clock. Now, because of what's going on, not having to get up super early, we've been going to bed between nine and 1030. And still that works for us. So we're keeping some regularity. We're not staying up all night watching marathons of Netflix. We can do that during the day, you know, and we have been. Light 
is a huge one. If you follow me at all, you know that this is probably my number one non-negotiable for child's bedroom is to be pitch black. Absolutely as dark as you can get it, especially with trying to nap them during the day. So at nighttime, we need to have dark to help us sleep and we need to be mindful of our bedroom environment. We need to watch for small little lights on electronics like humidifiers, uh, sound machines if you have one, alarm clocks, turn turn the clock the other way so that you don't see what time it is. And I'll, I'll talk about this a little later as well. There's another reason for that besides the light. Lights from another room. We used to keep our microwave light on and the kitchen's right outside our bedroom. And I realized that that light was disruptive to me at night. And so I went and bought two small little night lights and now we put them in the kitchen. And it's much darker in our bedroom now. You can also use a a sleep mask if you need to, to block out light. For instance, if your partner likes to read at night before bed and you want to go right to sleep, use a sleep mask. You can go to, well, now you can go to Amazon and get them because nothing else is open. But typically you can even find these at like TJ Maxx or Marshalls for a few dollars. Really inexpensive. You want to make sure the bedroom environment is cool. Ideally, you want it to be around 67, 68 degrees, cool as you can stand it. We crack a window in our bedroom because ours is actually the hottest room in the house. And it's interesting because sleeping in too warm of a room, and this is for children as well, can cause you to have nightmares. But it really goes back to body temperature. So our body temperature does rise slightly at night for sleep. And so sleeping in a cool environment will help kind of balance that out because we do get very warm at night when we sleep. You can also sleep with your foot outside the blankets. That helps cool your body as well. I want to take a minute to talk about what we eat and drink during the day and before bed. Caffeine and alcohol are two coping mechanisms for us, right, in a stressful time for sure. But it's also something that can greatly affect our quality of sleep. So caffeine has a half-life, which means how long it stays in your body, between 5 to 10 hours, depending on gender, depending on body weight, etc. So not consuming caffeine for a minimum of 6 hours before sleep is going to help you get better quality of sleep. I noticed that when I have caffeine in the afternoon, I try to limit it like after one o'clock, I really try not to drink caffeine unless I know I really need it. Like if I'm doing an important um, meeting or phone call or something at night and I need a little burst of energy, then sometimes I'll just take that risk. But for me, I'm able to fall asleep with caffeine. It's just that my sleep is very fragmented with caffeine. Also with alcohol. So alcohol affects your quality of sleep. Now, you might be able to fall asleep more easily, but overall, alcohol reduces your REM sleep time. REM sleep is the dream sleep, and it's a very deep sleep. But what REM sleep also does is it's very restorative. So if you're drinking alcohol and you're passing out instead of falling asleep, you're getting maybe more sleep or getting to sleep easier, but your quality of sleep is suffering. And that builds up over time. And even though you might be getting as much time of sleep, your quality of sleep is lacking and you're still going to feel groggy and and, uh, cranky when you wake up and not rested. So just trying to limit alcohol consumption and, you know, knowing that it's a risk that you take, just like when I know that I drink caffeine after three or four or five PM, I'm taking the risk that I'm probably going to have crappy sleep that night. And so it's just at least you know these things and the effects that they can have on sleep. And you can make that educated decision yourself. 
Taking naps can also affect sleep. So I talk about this with kids a lot. Too much daytime sleep will affect how much nighttime sleep your child is able to get. So taking a short nap of, you know, 15 to 25 minutes, if you do have a bad night's sleep, can actually be very restorative and can really help you get through the day. But more than 30 minutes um, for adults is really going to maybe start to affect your ability to sleep through the night. When kids get too much daytime sleep, they often experience difficulty falling asleep, which adults can experience as well. We can, you know, we're only able to get so much sleep total, and it's dependent upon age and developmentally. So if you have are adding two hour nap onto your sleep totals for the day, that's going to subtract that from nighttime sleep. Hopefully that makes sense to you. And it's the same exact thing with children. If your child is three years old and taking a three hour nap, well, they need at least six to seven hours before they're able to fall asleep. So we need to do those calculations, particularly for our kids, being careful that they're not getting too much daytime sleep, but knowing that it can also affect us as well as adults. We can also wake up in the middle of the night and be kind of wide awake if you do get a big chunk of daytime sleep. So again, just something to be aware of. I'm not saying don't take naps. And there's certainly days when I take naps and they don't affect my sleep at all. If I'm not feeling very well or if I'm just mentally exhausted, sometimes a nap is great and it doesn't affect my quality of sleep at all. A big one that you know I'm going to talk about is electronics. Electronics in the bedroom and electronics before bed. And this also goes for artificial light. Before I talk about electronics, actually, I want to talk about exposure to light and how it affects our sleep. So we all have something called a circadian rhythm. And circadian rhythm basically helps us to sleep at appropriate times. So when it's dark out, it's nighttime and it's time for sleep. We need to get exposure during the day to bright light. And this really helps us set our circadian rhythms. So if you're someone who is kind of sleeping off your biological rhythms and you're a night owl and you want to change that and you want to try to go to sleep a little earlier, getting bright light during the day will help you with setting your biological clock and your circadian rhythms. Conversely, exposure to bright light artificially in the evenings through screens, through um, television, through bright lights in the house will affect your circadian rhythm negatively, where it's confusing your body and telling your body it's time to stay awake. In the evening, I really suggest dimming the lights in the house. And we do this in our own home. After we're done eating dinner, we turn the lights off in the kitchen. We have one warm lamp on in the living room. We don't have a lot of lights on overhead. And it just gives kind of a calm to the whole house, but it's also signaling to our brains that we're transitioning into rest time and relax time. So electronics, back to electronics, different reasons for this. So you know that the artificial light can affect your circadian rhythm. It can affect melatonin production with adults as well as children. And melatonin is the hormone that helps us relax and sleep. Also, part of that is, especially with with what's going on right now, Checking messages and emails before bed. You know, a lot of us are working from home and maybe don't have good boundaries with emails, etc. yet. I know that when I started my business, I did not have good boundaries with emails and it would stress me out so bad. And so I had to actually set a time for myself. And there's also an app that someone told me about called Boomerang where I can hook it up to my email 
and you can actually pause your inbox with Boomerang and it really helps. And I would pause my inbox at 6 p.m. at night. You know, checking messages and emails before bed is going to just keep your brain going. It's not helping relax you. It's doing the opposite. It's stimulating. It's going to cause you to think about problems that are going on at work or in your family, potential solutions. And it's going to cause that racing, you know, the racing thoughts, which prevent us from sleeping. Also, particularly right now, you know, there's uh, an abundance of news and reporting going on and taking some time to know what's going on in the world is important, but then shutting it down at a certain time of day. Definitely looking at that before bed is not going to be conducive to sleep. So I really encourage you to try to figure out some boundaries that you can set around looking at the news. You know, for me, I like to do it in the morning. Of course, if there's a news conference on in the afternoon, I'll watch that. But watching information about coronavirus all day and all night, it's not really helping anything. It's really just going to cause more of those racing thoughts at nighttime. So maybe trying to cut news consumption off an hour before bed and just, you know, this is all kind of one big experiment. Everyone is different. Um, So you're going to have to try what works for you, but that might be something that you want to experiment with this week and see if it doesn't help you sleep. Maybe not reading news articles right before bed, maybe reading a book. I read books on my Kindle and I can also change the background to black and the letters to white. So it's a lot less bright in my eyes. And I have found that reading a book in that way with the black background really helps me sleep and I'm able to fall asleep very easily. You know, I think another thing about electronics in the bedroom, the alarm clock. And this is a tip that I learned way before I got interested in working with sleep. I had a lot of anxiety growing up and I don't know where I came across this tip, but someone said, don't check your alarm clock in the middle of the night, no matter what. Make sure it's set when you go to sleep and then turn it away from you and leave it alone. And this tip has helped me since I was a teenager with sleep. It really changed my ability to get back to sleep at night because I'm not looking. You, once you look at that time, your brain starts going. It's stimulated. You're starting to do calculations. I only have three hours to get back to sleep. Oh my God, that's not going to be enough. How am I going to... That's what happens when you look at your alarm clock in the middle of the night. So as long as that alarm is set for when you need it to be, who cares what time it is? Avoid the temptation of looking at the clock and see how that helps you and your ability to get back to sleep. Just something to experiment with again. Eating certain foods before bed and avoiding certain foods before bed. There are foods called pro-sleep and anti-sleep foods. And there's a whole big list of pro-sleep and anti-sleep foods. But in general, you want to avoid heavy, greasy, spicy Foods that are high in sugar or even caffeine like chocolate before bed can, for some people, can affect you. And avoiding sleeping on a full stomach. So your food takes about three to four hours to digest in your stomach. So of course, having a little snack can be good for you before bed. It can stabilize your blood sugar. But what you want to have is something that's higher in fat and protein. Also, certain fruits, banana, pineapple, and orange can trigger melatonin production in your blood, but snacks like low-fat milk and cereal or peanut butter on bread or crackers or yogurt, some nuts before bed, anything with omegas in them, plain popcorn with olive oil, those things can all encourage sleep and they can also stabilize your blood sugar. Low blood sugar can keep you up at night as well. 
Some of the other positive things you can do for yourself are taking a warm bath or shower. This helps your body relax, but also the science behind it is that the hot temperature of the water can actually change the core temperature of your body and help you fall asleep. Interesting that it works with science. But adding, if you do take a bath, adding things like aromatherapy, some lavender, any scent that helps you relax will just contribute to you having a more quality night's sleep or ability to fall asleep easier. I think a bath will definitely help you fall asleep easier. Moderate exercise is a big one. When I don't exercise, I do notice a difference in the quality of my sleep. It's a lot more fragmented. I do have more insomnia when I don't exercise, but something moderate such as walking or yoga, you know, now that we're um, kind of stuck at home for a while, walks and hikes and bike rides, things like that are sounding a lot more appealing, definitely to me and can help you with sleep. There are some scientific studies that have been done that show that moderate exercise helps people fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. So now I want to talk about supplements that can help you sleep. Now I've done a ton of experimenting over time and found some things that really help me with sleep. I'm going to talk generally and then I'll tell you guys what I use for sleep. So there are a lot of herbal sleep formulas. If you Google sleep uh, herbal sleep formulas on Amazon, you're going to find a ton of products because it is such a problem in our country sleep deprivation for children and for adults. So some herbs that are really known to help with sleep with, this is more about relaxation and about regulating your body. Passion flower is a big one. That's one that people have used with a lot of success. Valerian root. Now, one thing about valerian is there is a very small subset of people who valerian stimulates rather than relaxes. Now, valerian can be a very powerful relaxant. I actually take a formula that has valerian in it, but you need to just do your do a check, take it for a couple nights if you're going to try valerian and see how your body reacts to it. For some people, like I said, it can it can stimulate and I don't know what the science behind that is, but I have read several articles about valerian and just cautioning people to kind of take it on its own, don't take it with anything else and see how your body reacts to it. There is also skullcap, lemon balm, chamomile, lavender. I mean, the list goes on and on about herbs that can help relax us. There's there's a ton, but there are some really great herbal formulas out there. And these herbs help regulate our nervous system. So the nice thing about these formulas is they're not just for sleep. It's actually, you know, herbal medicine kind of builds up over time and over usage. So the more you use these herbs, the more they're going to have a positive effect on your nervous system. Another supplement that can really make a difference with sleep is magnesium. There is a very popular supplement called Natural Calm, and I actually take it. I've taken it for many years, probably about seven or eight years, um, and it's a magnesium citrate. There are certain formulas of magnesium, or sorry, certain forms of magnesium that are better than others for helping with sleep, the way that the body breaks them down. But taking magnesium 30 to 45 minutes before bed can really help impact sleep. So even a small magnesium deficiency can impact sleep. And foods that are high in magnesium can include foods that are high in fiber. 
So leafy greens, wheat germ, pumpkin seeds, almonds, those are foods high in magnesium. So if you think you might not be getting enough of those, you might want to try a supplement. Magnesium is harmless. I mean, taken in a dosage of, let's see, the recommended dosage is 350 milligrams of oral magnesium daily before bed. So check with your doctor on this, but it's something that I've used for many years and it's a part of my bedtime routine, which I'll talk about in a minute, but it does really help relax me. I notice a very big difference when I don't take it. It's funny because the natural calm is like this white powder that comes in a big tub and I travel with it because it's a must for me. And I put it in a little container. I try to use the natural calm container. So at least it has the name on it in my suitcase. But inevitably, I always get that little paper in my suitcase that said they searched my suitcase. And I'm not surprised because who knows what they think that 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 is. But I yeah, magnesium Natural Calm is a non-negotiable for me. And this can also help children. They actually do have Natural Calm gummies for children. I don't know if they have the drink or not, but I know Natural Calm has come out with several new products in the last year. They have capsules for those who don't want to take the drink. So something to look into. Um, I want to also touch upon melatonin because a lot of people ask me about melatonin. So melatonin is produced naturally in our bodies. It's a fairly harmless supplement when taken occasionally. Now, I in the past have become dependent upon melatonin. I don't know all the science behind it. Again, I'm a sleep consultant. I'm not a scientist. I think depending on melatonin is probably not the best. I know melatonin has not been widely researched. And so there can be some potential effects on depression. I think fertility, if I remember correctly. So You know, if you're dependent upon melatonin to fall asleep every night, this is probably an indicator that there's a lot of underlying causes to your sleep problems. And you might want to try some of the other suggestions that I have here before you take melatonin every single night, because there's probably some other things that you can do and you might still need to take it occasionally, but there's probably some other things you can do and not have that kind of melatonin grogginess every morning. As far as children with melatonin, I always refer people with any supplement with children. Talk to your pediatrician about it. Again, it's something that can be, um, we can be dependent on to fall asleep, And with children, I don't know the effects that it has upon their development because, you know, melatonin is a hormone. So I would be cautious about using melatonin with children and definitely check with your pediatrician. A big one for me that has really helped and works is having a bedtime routine. And you know that I suggest bedtime routines for every child. I suggest people starting as early as possible just to get into the habit of it. And so that children can start to get used to this sequence of things happens before I go to bed. And it not only helps them feel again, safe, secure, calm, because it's predictable, but it also signals to it's, it's physiologic. So it signals to their brains and their body that we're getting ready to wind down and go to sleep. So for adults, I suggest having a bedtime routine as well. So my bedtime routine is pretty boring. It's nothing that exciting. I usually will go get my natural calm. I'll get my supplements that I take in the evening, which are just a fish oil, the herbal sleep formula that I talked about. And I take an ashwagandha as well, which also helps regulate the nervous system. I fill up my humidifier, which I'm still using because the heat is still on in the house. Put that all away. I go and brush my teeth and wash my face and do my skincare. I come into the room. My husband and I say some prayers together 
And then I lay in bed and read for approximately 20 to 30 minutes a book. And that really works for me. Works like a charm. You know, I fall asleep reading. It makes me tired. I usually read till my eyes are tired and I'm able to sleep for the most part, unless I wake up to go to the bathroom. I'm able to pretty much sleep through the night. And that's only because of all this experimenting and trial and error that I've done over the years, because I will tell you, I have anxiety and there are times when it gets really bad. But with some of these habits that I've implemented and also some of the things I'm about to talk about, which is of course, mindfulness and its effect on sleep, I've been able to greatly increase the quality of my sleep and also my ability to stay asleep at night or fall back to sleep when I do get up in the middle of the night and my head starts going. So having a bedtime routine will signal to your body and brain that it's time to fall asleep. Um, Another part of my routine that I forgot to talk about was I do have a salt lamp next to my bed that has a dimmer on it. And that's the light that I use before bed. So probably those 20 minutes before bed, I have the salt lamp on because it's a nice amber glow. It's not a bright white light like most of the other bulbs in our house. And it's dimmable, so I can dim it as it's getting closer to bedtime. And we're still able to see in our bedroom and everything, get the things ready for bed that we need, but it's not affecting our brain's melatonin production or circadian rhythms in any way. The last thing I want to touch upon is mindfulness. If you Google adult sleep problems, a lot of things about mindfulness are going to pop up. And that's because it works. And this is one of the biggest tools that I have coupled with all these other things that I do. Um, A regular mindfulness practice, you can actually train your mind to calm down and relax and, and in turn go back to sleep, which is what I've been able to do. Now, this has taken a lot of time and experimenting to see what works for me. But some of the techniques that people use for mindfulness, and these are things you can use before bed. What I'm referring to is that I do a simple mindfulness practice, two to five minutes in the morning, a guided meditation. And I've been able to use those techniques that I've learned in the guided meditation to be able to calm myself in the middle of the night and put myself back to sleep. Now, these techniques I'm going to talk about right now are things to use before bed. So visualization, I actually just talked about this in my last episode on night fears and nightmares in children, because positive imagery visualizing our favorite place or a place that calms us and relaxes us and also visualizing what does it smell like, what does it feel like can really help calm our brains and our bodies down. And it'll also give us something positive to think about when we're falling asleep. Practicing deep breathing is a big one. And you can do this guided or you can do this on your own. You know, mine is take a deep breath in for a count of five and take a breath out for a count of eight or 10. And that's something that I actually use in the middle of the night when I wake up and I'm unable to fall back to sleep is the deep breathing. And it has helped me immensely with my insomnia. So if you can make it a regular practice for you when you're falling asleep, you'll have that tool to use in the middle of the night when you're having a particularly bad night. Also, people find comfort in listening to certain music for sleep. There's Um, On the app Insight Timer, which I use, there's a lot of different music for sleep. Something that was recommended in an article I read was Max Richter and his album called Sleep, which is supposed to be extremely relaxing. So if you are a music person, this can help you sleep. The one thing I will caution about is maybe putting music on, but having a definite end to it because 
Just like how I recommend a white noise machine for children, if there is a noise and then it abruptly stops like music or it changes tempo greatly, it's going to probably disrupt your sleep. So it should be particularly um, created for sleep or to help you sleep. Listening to other music may actually work against you because, again, of the change in tempo or the sudden abrupt stop to the music. So something to experiment with again. Another one is there's tons of apps and podcasts. So the Calm app actually has stories to help you sleep. There's podcasts such as Sleep With Me podcast, Story Not Story podcast, ASMR HQ podcast. This is just a few. There are a ton. So you can just Google podcast to help me sleep and you'll find ones that are all different kinds. A lot of them are just people talking or telling stories in a very boring voice. But a lot of people find this very comforting and um, obviously because there wouldn't be so many podcasts if it didn't work. This is a pretty comprehensive list. And again, a lot of this stuff has taken me a long time to find with trial and error. And I also, I like having all the information because then it gives me the ability to choose kind of like with the caffeine or the alcohol. I like to give you guys the information and it's completely without judgment, but it's for you to have and to be able to make your own informed decisions, just like everything else that I give you on parenting. This is for you to decide and to experiment with. So my reflection this week is a really simple one. What are three positive changes that you can try today or tonight to help you sleep? Think of this as a little experiment. And this is one of the things we can do in a little bit of gratitude that we do have the time to be able to slow down and maybe think about some of these things that we would not normally be able to with our busy lives. I encourage you to prioritize your own sleep because Really, the habits that you are showing your children are what they're going to emulate. And if they see us prioritizing sleep, like my kids are always shocked that we go to sleep at nine, nine o'clock on weeknights, but it's also showing them that we sleep when we're tired and we get a healthy amount of sleep too. So it's really modeling something great for them. That is my show for the week, guys. I just want to send you all so much love and thank you for listening. And I hope that these suggestions really help you. I put a lot of thought and care into this show because I know how much parents struggle with sleep. So let me know if you try something and it works for you. I will be back next week with an all new show. In the meantime, take care of yourself and each other and be kind. next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, follow us on Instagram and Facebook for tips on sleep and a whole lot more. See you next week. For even more tips and strategies on helping our children handle the difficult feelings and emotions that they're coping with right now, I recommend checking out the following episodes of my podcast. Episode two about crying, where I talk a lot about emotional well-being Episode 5, The Power of Play, where I talk about how children express themselves and their feelings through play. And my last episode, Episode 9, about nighttime fears. Also be sure to follow Nest Family Sleep and The Little Sleep Show on Instagram, as I do post weekly with even more information and tips about sleep and parenting. Take care, everybody.